It's Monday, December 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you. It is time for another deal, uh, this time in the video gaming industry. It is time for Comcast to make their move in the video streaming wars, and we'll get to both of those. But we're going to start with shares of Alphabet, which are in the spotlight this morning after multiple Google services, Gmail, YouTube, Google Drive, Stadia, suffered a massive outage. (laughs) Uh, For reasons unknown at this point, Google issued a statement saying service has already been restored for some users, and we expect a resolution for all users in the near future. Please note this time frame is an estimate and may change. Where do you want to start with this? It's not, you know, the stock is not <laughs> tanking. Um, there are a couple of different directions we can go. Um, but uh, my reaction to this was different than sort of the normal, you know, when we come out and we see, um, you know, uh, as we've talked about in the past, uh, Home Depot has been uh, has announced that uh, they're that they were hacked, and as many as forty million credit cards uh, uh, could have been exposed. Well, I mean, where I want to start with this, I, I want to flip the script here a little bit, Chris, because I mean, as as we were talking um, pre pre show here in our in our production discussion here earlier today, you you. You seem to have a little bit of a take on this, and you wouldn't really elaborate. So, if you remember the office, well, 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 how the turntables have. Let's turn those tables and let me interview you, friend. What was what? What is what is your take on this? Because I, I really, I really was interested to hear that. So I told you I had a I had a weird reaction to this, and my reaction was almost one of sympathy. It was not alarm, and I'm not an Alphabet shareholder. It was not similar to the reaction I had when, in the past, we've talked about Home Depot or Target or any of these major retailers announcing, hey, 40 million credit cards um, yeah. may have had their data exposed. And we, you, know, you just think, oh boy, that's a little bit of a problem. My gut reaction when I first saw this news was almost like Google was the coffee shop at the end of my block. That I've been going to for 20 years, it's like a little you know local shop, and I know the guy who owns it, and you know he had a break in. My reaction was, oh, I I hope they're okay. Are they all right? (laughs) Which is, I I don't know what that says about me. I think it may say something about me, but I think it also says something about the way that I can't be alone in this regard. I think it says something about the way that a lot of us think about Google. It is an invaluable service for which we do not pay. We yeah. don't pay a dime to use <laughs> Google or YouTube or Google Drive. You know, all these you know, all these schools across the country that use Google Docs to share information particularly as we're doing remote learning. So my gut reaction was this weird mix of of sympathy, it, like it wasn't alarm and maybe it should be alarm because this is I would argue one of the five most important companies in America. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'd probably put it even. I think I'd probably put it in the top three, even. Um, and, and we could argue that till the cows come home, I guess. But I mean, I think that you're right. In it, it's a good observation. It is such a valuable collection of services 
that they offer that we pay nothing for. And, and of course, we've been having this conversation all year regarding privacy and, and that we're really the product and, and that they're just kind of exploiting our data and, and yada, yada, yada. So, we as consumers, we make that trade-off, right? We, we choose to make that trade-off and, and Google is not the only service we do that. I mean, you've, you've got social media uh, writ large that, that trade-off is made every day. But I, I do think I think you're right. If you look at something like Twitter and Facebook crashing, I mean, I, I know that social media is central to a lot of folks' lives, and, and that's fine, I guess, whatever. But but Twitter and Facebook crashing is not the same thing as Google or Amazon or Microsoft crashing. That those that Google, Amazon, and Microsoft are far more important to what's going on. Not only really domestically here, but globally, I would argue. And, and Google, to me, is is. I, it, it's just one of the most invaluable resources we have as as investors, as consumers, as students, and so I, I think this, uh, you know, this this to me, it's a good reminder of, of the risks of placing all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Um, if you are a, a workplace or if you are a school, and you're relying on on something like Google, and then all of a sudden that that rug is just yanked out from under you. It doesn't matter how long it is. Uh, you feel it, even if it's for five minutes. You're like, "Whoa, what just happened here?" Because it, it it really does ding productivity, and and it's it's difficult to say exactly what happened here. I mean, these things just happen. Um, I, I, it makes me think of the word redundancy. You th- you see with a lot of these a lot of these tech companies today, particularly the big ones in like Amazon and Microsoft and, and, and Alphabet, where they talk about re- redundancy, where you have essentially a failsafe, right? So if something goes wrong, they can fall back on something which which uh, keeps keeps the world from from coming to an end, so to speak. And it makes me wonder, and, and I'm no techie, I'm not a coder, so I mean, this is just something I thought about. But it, it makes me wonder that as these systems advance. As the tech gets better, <coughs> it feels like to me uh, it, that it would become. Oftentimes, they would become more intricate if developers and coders aren't careful. And, and I guess the analogy I was I was coming up with this morning, it could be something akin to our tax code here domestically, in that instead of if, instead of making it more streamlined and efficient and making it work better, if you keep on adding things to it without really accounting for everything that went into building it in the first place, it just becomes more complicated. It becomes more complicated to unwind. It becomes more difficult to fully figure out. And, and you, you could ultimately run into situations where failure becomes a bit more of a frequent um, Occasion, or event, I just don't know. But, but either way, it's yeah. To your point, it's always it's something you feel, no doubt. It's also interesting to me, just as an investor and someone uh, you know who watches the markets for a living. Google hasn't really said what's going on. No, <laughs> and and the stock isn't like I think it speaks to Google's track record, the track record of the leadership. Uh, you know, you combine all that, and the market is is more than willing to just say, "Oh, okay, well, just let us know." Like, there's, yeah. like there's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's not even a five percent dip, which would be, uh, you know, arguably very normal in this situation. Again, this is a huge company; it's an important company, but I think it speaks to the the people running it that Google has basically said, "Yeah, we're working on this." 
We're not telling you what happened because we're working on this. We'll get back to you. And everyone's just like, oh, okay, cool. I'm not selling this stock. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a Google, as an Alphabet shareholder, I mean, there, I, I absolutely wouldn't be selling uh, my shares on this on this type of, of event. Um, and, and one of the reasons, I think, you know, a time ago, there could have been a more severe reaction to this, a more harsh reaction. And when you consider this migration to cloud computing and all of the different um, ways it's impacted our economy and this move towards the digital economy. A lot of companies out there utilize Google's services um, to, to make their businesses run. I mean, Netflix, I, th I think, is a customer, for example. Um, but what we've seen over the last several years is the incorporation of this multi cloud strategy. And, and ultimately, I mean, multi cloud in its simplest form is just when a company chooses to use several different public cloud vendors. So, one company might use Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, for example, and, and, that, and that, that goes back to that redundancy word I mentioned earlier. I mean, that helps a company in not placing all of their eggs in one basket, knowing that they have some sort of fallback or some sort of fail-safe, so that if one provider uh, checks out for a little bit, that, you know, the, the customer's business doesn't just grind to a halt. So, so maybe a time ago, before multi-cloud uh, really was something that that was more prevalent, as prevalent as it is today, maybe those companies and, and Google uh, also would have would have felt a little bit more of a of an impact from this. But I, I think today, you know, technology has, has just made so many great advancements. And, and again, I go back to Amazon, Microsoft, Alphabet. To me, just just three of the of the most important companies out there because of just the infrastructure that they've built in in you know controlling so much of what the world does today. In mid-November, Codemasters, which is a video game maker based in the UK, agreed to be acquired by Take-Two Interactive for just under $1 billion. That was then. Today, <laughs> Electronic Arts announced that it is buying Codemasters for $1.2 in cash. And Jason, this might not be over. Uh, Take-Two has said they're going to reconsider their position, and I will point out, all three of these stocks are up. Now, Codemasters yeah. is up big, but uh, both EA and Take-Two still up a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, EA stepped up and said, hey, nope, we want this one and we're going to pay for it. And, and they they offered more money and, and that's the way that works. And Take-Two is going to have a chance to get in there and, and, and perhaps uh, reconsider their offer. Um, I don't know that they will. I mean, maybe they will. Uh, to me, to me, I think this was a smart move on EA's part. I mean, gaming is, of course, we talk about this all the time. It's one of the largest market opportunities in our in our universe. I mean, entertainment and otherwise. And EA itself, they they own a number of, of popular franchises that are that are hits in their own right. I mean, you think about Star Wars and Battlefield and Apex Legends and The Sims. Uh, they also have a very big presence in in things in that in that racing market and and codemasters that's what codemasters is really known for is it's formula formula one and dirt racing game franchises so to me i mean it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out from from a deal perspective but this does seem more complementary to ea's mo so to speak i mean it seems to be more in line with what ea does pretty well uh, so we'll have to see if if Take Two decides to to counter that. I mean, Take Two is a good business as well. It's smaller than EA uh, EA Sports or Electronic Arts, and um, and and EA definitely has the larger balance sheet. I mean, they have something around six billion dollars in cash and equivalents on the balance sheet, so so they can certainly make this deal and. 
if Take Two decides to go in there and, and offer a little bit more, there's nothing that says EA wouldn't wouldn't push it up a little bit higher. They 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 can afford to do that. Um, so I think that you look at a company like EA, the moves they've made, along with all of these other gaming companies, the move towards digital has just been such a big uh, winner for them. So you're seeing consolidation, but but the move to digital. Not only is it more efficient, but really it, it does create network effects. It creates switching costs. And uh, it, to me, as this space continues to grow, it continues to get more competitive. I mean, look well beyond the pandemic. This is still going to be a tremendous opportunity. I think EA is going to be one of the companies that continues to lead the way. So this will be, be fun to watch. I don't have a horse in this race, but part of me hopes this we get one more pass at a bidding war, just selfishly. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's fun to watch. Like, you know what? We'll we'll, we'll go to one point three. For if you're sure. Code, if, if you're codemasters, you're like, yeah, sure. No. Why not? Hey, well, you know, a codemaster just sits back and just watches it. They just, you know, they, they got the cigar in the mouth and they're just laughing. <laughs> it's 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 a nice position to be in. NBC Universal, which is owned by Comcast, has a decision to make because next month the video streaming rights for the hugely popular sitcom The Office are going to transfer from Netflix to Peacock. NBC Universal is considering uh, considering putting most seasons of The Office behind a paywall. Before we get to anything else, let's just start with that. Yeah. If the team at NBC Universal calls you up, you're a fan of The Office, you downloaded Peacock, you use it. If they called you up and said, Jason, we're thinking about doing this. We think this might be a way for us to drive subscri- uh, subscriptions. What do you tell them? Well, that's that's a really good question. And I think it goes back to what Peacock is really all about to begin with. And so, what I mean by that, it, when I when I look at this and I, I look at this as a, as a Netflix versus Peacock thing, it, it's they're they're two very different approaches. Netflix is a subscription play. Peacock, on the other hand, while we talk about signups and downloads, and they have subscription offerings, they have that five dollar subscription offering and the ten dollar one. Ultimately, Peacock is an ad play. And so, advertising is the primary revenue driver for Peacock. And so, that ultimately is going to make all of the decisions for them, kind of how they determine what to do with their content. Now, I, I, I will say, I mean, as a, as a Peacock subscriber, I, I went ahead, I downloaded Peacock initially just to try it out. And I mean, we had talked about it a lot on, on the shows here throughout the year, and I, I wanted to get a firsthand user experience. And so, I, I saw that they had that Stephen King series, Mr. Mercedes, and I thought, well, let me just check that out because I couldn't find it anywhere else. Uh, and then I also saw they had Yellowstone, and I thought, well, I really want to watch Yellowstone too. I heard a lot of good things. And so, I watched the first season of Mr. Mercedes free. I had not, I had not subscribed to anything. Um, and, and wouldn't you know it, the second season, <laughs> you have to subscribe. <laughs> and so, with Yellowstone, it was, it was even to the next level. I only got to watch the first episode of Yellowstone, and if I wanted to watch any more, then I had to subscribe. Well, the problem, Chris, is that Yellowstone, I think, is a pretty darn good show, and I like Mr. Mercedes too. So immediately, like they've got my money. And $5 a month is a very forgettable price. And so I have no problem signing up for that and saying, if that's going to give me access to those two shows alone, 
I'll continue to watch them. And what it's done is it's forced me to look more through what Peacock is and the stuff that they have. And the more I look through it, the more I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, you know, wow, this is a pretty nice, pretty nice little setup they got there. They, they have a lot of content. And, and as we talk about content and distribution, they work very much hand in hand, but really distribution's kind of been commoditized now. Like if, if you're not throwing stuff through an app and, and letting people stream it, then you're you're obviously well well behind the curve there. And so then it really just contents the differentiator. And and content will make consumers do things like pay for it. And and so I think that if they decided to put it behind that five dollar paywall, I think they would probably get a few signups. Now the caveat there is that advertisements are still incorporated. And that stinks. But I will also say that they've done a very good job. They've been somewhat thoughtful with the advertisements. They're not longer than a minute. Often they're shorter and, and they're very tolerable. So it, it really does boil down to what Peacock is all about. And for right now, it's an advertising generator for uh, Comcast. When I was looking over the details of this, and it was a Bloomberg report that NBC Universal is considering this move, it reminded me of a point you made on Motley Fool Money last week when we were talking about Disney and their big announcements around their investments into streaming. And one of the things you talked about was pricing power. How Disney raising the price of Disney Plus from $6.99 a month to $7.99 a month, that is still basically half of what Netflix is per month. Now, obviously, Netflix, Netflix has a much bigger catalog. But while neither one of us thinks Netflix is in any kind of serious trouble as a business, I think we're both in agreement that they probably have slightly less pricing power than they did before. And I think part of it is the pressure that Disney, and I will now add NBC Universal um, in this group as well, uh, the fact that they are pricing this at $5 a month, I think is a really smart move. And it is the sort of thing where if they can get a lot of people into this, they've got so much more flexibility over the next five to 10 years in terms of when they pull the pricing power lever, when they kick it up from $5 a month to $6 a month, that sort of thing. Um, I, I do think that whatever they decide with the office, it's essentially going to be their first bet. It's going to be their first yeah. serious test in the same way. Uh, similar. I'm, I'm not going to say it's it's um, the same in terms of the consequences of the results of the test, but uh, because Disney Plus was much more established and in a lot more homes already with paying customers. But it is, I think, somewhat similar to the test that Disney Plus did earlier this year with Mulan, where they said, you can get this but you're going to pay us 30 bucks up front. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I do. I mean, I, it, and this is just partly because Netflix is so so far along in, in the game, right? I mean, they're the ones that really spearheaded this whole movement to begin with. And so, they've just had more time to be able to inch their prices up. And and I, I agree with you that Disney and, and, and Peacock and other apps that have, that have priced their uh, offerings at such low prices to from from the get-go that's a wise move uh, because it gives them a lot of time to continue to inch those prices up 
Um, and, and consequently, I mean, just as of today, I mean, Peacock's ha- Peacock has over over 26 million signups. Now, that's signups. That's not paid subscribers. But again, you go back to what Peacock really is. It's an advertising generator. It's it's an advertising re- revenue generator for uh, for Comcast. It's not about subs, at least not today. Um, and, and with that in mind, it, one of the one of the things I thought they could do with the office. Because it really is first and foremost about getting people to sign up for the service. If if office if the office goes over to P or when the office goes over to, to Peacock, I, I I think a, a clever move for them could be because advertising is the North Star. Don't put it behind the paywall. Make it make it fully available for anybody who wants to watch it. You're going to get probably 50 million more signups immediately because everybody's going to want to be watching it. It's just it's still a very popular show that's still very relevant. I mean, we're still in the middle of a, a uh, I mean, it, it, who is it? It's Jenna Fisher and, and Angela Kinsey are still in the middle of doing a podcast on Spotify called Office Ladies, where they go and they give you the skinny on each and every Office episode in order every week. And so this podcast is going to go on for a long time to come on Spotify. I mean, it's still a very relevant show that people people care about. But if you want to drive signups, and, and that to me is probably what they should be focused on, don't put the office behind the paywall. Just put it free for everybody. You're going to incorporate the advertisements in there, and you're going to be able to, to, to reap the benefits of that advertising revenue, particularly if you are bringing in as many signups as I think the office probably would. And, and then who's to say that you couldn't offer, well, an ad-free office experience if you just pay the $5 a month subscription? Uh, Maybe maybe that's something beyond their technology, or maybe that's something beyond the agreements. I, I'm, I'm not really sure, but it, do, it does seem like they have a few different ways they could look at this. So it, it'll be very interesting to to see. Uh, but but no doubt, I mean Disney and 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 Peacock will 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 have the luxury of being able to just inch those prices up for years and years to come. Netflix is going to have to be more thoughtful uh, because what we're seeing with the competition in the space, and and, and I, I say this is, and I like Netflix and what they've done. I find their content to be just utterly subpar, and and I don't mean subpar as in like good. I mean subpar as in like overpar. Like you just shot eighty five instead of seventy two. It's just it's not as good as I feel like it should be, and and maybe. Uh, it was better a time ago when they're just losing a lot of that content to Peacock and Disney and whatnot. I mean, a lot of that, a lot of that is is uh, is the case. But uh, they're going to have to either bring the goods or they're going to have to be very, very careful about how they raise prices in the future. One more lever that they may have down the line, and I'm talking about NBC Universal, is the Summer Olympics. If the Summer Olympics go off as expected and hoped for in July. Uh, you know, Comcast has locked up the rights for uh, the Olympics, I think, through the 2030s. I think either through 2032 or maybe through 2036. And that that could be uh, a big driver in terms of signups, depending on what they choose to do and make available on Peacock. Oh, I totally agree. And we were, I was actually, I was down visiting my parents uh, just a couple of weeks ago, playing some golf down in Georgia. And uh, every, every so often we saw the advertisements for the 2021 Olympics and they were advertising it as the 2020 Olympics. Like they were making an extra big deal. The commercials just got you really stoked, man. I mean, they are doing a wonderful job pushing this. And I I do think that is going to be a big driver for them. It's going to be a wonderful catalyst. And I, I mean, that's just what, nine, nine months down the road or so. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. 
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. i